I think of the talent gap and the reskilling and upskilling as the one binary success factor for unlocking all the value that all this technology now has to offer. You have to force this reskilling. As a leader, you have to force it. Welcome to Industrial Insights, an original podcast by Amazon Web Services. I'm your host, Caroline Lawrence. Every month, I'll be taking a deep dive into a real industrial business challenge and interviewing a transformative leader who solved it. I'll uncover the data-driven insights you need to make your life and job easier. You can find all episodes of Industrial Insights on our website or through your favorite streaming platform, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the talent gap. We'll discuss strategies for closing these gaps and learn how to train, develop, and qualify talent within your transitioning workforce. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about the talent gap. And overall, the manufacturing and industrial companies, they're facing a worldwide shortage of qualified skills on an unprecedented scale. And many refer to this as the talent gap or the skills gap. So in this episode, we're going to discuss some strategies for closing these gaps and talk about learning how to train, develop, and qualify talent within your workforce. So today, I'd want to invite our first guest to the show who also joined us last week is Magnus Ackeson. Uh, Magnus is a CIO and Vice President of GE Power Manufacturing Division at General Electric. He is a hands-on digital technology leader and industrial engineer with domain expertise in supply chain, manufacturing, customer-driven value streams, and aftermarket services. And he has an extensive background in enabling growth through business and operating model innovation, digital project management, software delivery, and applied data science machine learning. So... Magnus, I saw that you spent some time at Auburn, so I'm just curious, are you a War Eagle? I am, yes. I <laughs> did an exchange here um, back in Auburn, uh, and it was a wonderful time experiencing American culture for the first time. It was a wonderful I feel like that is the perfect place to experience the real American culture at Auburn. <laughs> That's awesome. I still remember 80,000, 90,000 people uh, screaming uh, when there was a touchdown. It was almost a magical experience, I must say. Oh, that's so awesome. My my husband's a huge Auburn fan, so he's probably cheering us on here too. Well, welcome to the show, Magnus, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And we also have with us Michelle Putnick. Michelle is the Worldwide Business Development Lead for Manufacturing at AWS here. He works with some of the most innovative manufacturers around the world, supporting them and helps in translating how the cloud can help in improving operational efficiency, drive growth, and increase the pace of innovation. And Michelle, I'm just wondering, what is it like to work with manufacturers from all over the world? It's a a blessing because... um... Uh, and thanks for having me on, by the way. <clears throat> Pardon me. It's a blessing because most manufacturers are struggling with, with very similar uh, challenges, whether they are large or, or, or small. And they're also, you know, builders and uh, meaning, you know, parts and raw materials come in in, in one end of a, of a big building and out comes a, a, a beautiful new thing. Um, and uh, I, I just love that that process. And I love the the opportunity to to look at it and see what type of improvements that can be done. And uh, this is a, obviously a space that efficiency has been 
you know, almost pushed to the brink um, over the last you know hundred plus years, um, and now we're in a in a stage where. Uh, we can't really bring the efficiency game using traditional methods much further than than what what, he, what we have. So the opportunity is for you know to uncover you know what do these sometimes new technologies, uh, but cloud certainly. Uh, machine learning and AI has been talked about a lot. Uh, what do they bring to the table in terms of not just incrementally, which is typically the word we we think about when we when we talk efficiency in a, in a on a plant floor, but how do we leapfrog uh, through the use of these technologies? And and to a lot of people, this is these are brand new concepts and and brand new things um, and. You know, um, IT may be able to to understand it. Um, the operational technology side of the houses, um, you know, working with with technology stacks on the plant floor. Uh, you know, to 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 them, oftentimes this is this is Latin, right? It's not a language that they that they know. So, the inevitable conclusion is is bringing together, you know, the IT department who who um, may have an idea of how to use this uh, together with their OT counterparts and and drive to uh, to solutions that that leapfrog uh, where we are today in in terms of efficiency, at least. Yeah, you bring up a really good point, especially with um, the priorities of IT and OT. And I almost sometimes see that they contradict each other, um, prioritizing security, but also operational efficiency. And you kind of have to find that in between. It's really interesting. Um, Magnus, I'm kind of curious. So, you know, do you have an experience to share from your time that you've spent at GE um, with the talent gap and um, how has this issue kind of made you feel as a leader and, you know, how, how have you faced this problem as an executive? Well, well it's something that I, I, uh, I face every day. Uh, to Michelle's point, the, the fourth industrial revolution is here. Uh, we are at a, I would say, a massive inflection point uh, where technology can fundamentally unlock a lot of value that you couldn't unlock in the past. And I would say, uh, as Michelle pointed out, that the knowing what to do, knowing how to apply these technologies in a hands-on way on the shop floor is a number one reason or number one, um, um, uh, well, the number one reason why you cannot unlock that value. So to me, talent is everything. And it's hard. Uh, it's, I would almost call, almost call it like almost call it like uh, lifting a piano, almost in terms of facing all these different competing priorities on the shop floor, running the daily operations, supporting legacy systems, trying to learn at the same time. All those three things and more. It's just uh, it's just really hard uh, to find ways and means to 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 uh, to uh, compromise in all those different dimensions. But you have to, if you don't, if you don't learn new technologies, if you don't learn how to apply them in a hands-on way, you can never see what's possible. And you can't never learn how to think differently uh, about how to solve the next problem that you're going to go solve for. So it's, um, it's a big challenge and you have to be really, really stubborn on insisting that every time we solve a new problem, we have to go learn something new. We have to teach each other something new and deliver an outcome. We can't just focus on outcomes. 
That's a really good perspective. And can you describe why it's a big challenge, you know, um, and what has made it so difficult with um, closing the gap? Well, if you uh, if you walk into most factories, um, there you see a lot of focus on daily operations, doing again by walks, doing ops reviews, focusing on safety, quality, cost delivery, closing the quarter well, and just running the business well with what you have. There's often very little time to uh, to step out of that and think about how do you bring these sort of Again, transformative technologies to the shop floor. Same thing in IT, where most industrials, uh, GE is no different. We have systems from just about every decade, 1960s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and, and upwards to the latest and greatest, most advanced inspection technology that we purchased recently, for example. Uh, so just supporting those legacy systems and keeping up with the running of the business, uh, that's uh, that's just that's a, an incredible challenge that is again, makes it really, really difficult for the organization to think about how to solve for the same problems we're trying to solve for by doing it differently, seeing what's possible when you apply new technologies in different ways and driving that step change. And would you say that um, it's harder to find the talent that you need to use that technology or is it harder to um, retain that talent and keep them there? I think it's neither. I think it's really about insisting that the talent you have for the sake of the business, for the sake of their own careers, they have mm -hmm. to think of learning as continuous and never ending. It's like lean. Lean is a lifestyle. You do it every day, day in, day out. And learning it needs to be the same. Uh, that, that, I think, is, is the key, is that you can't hire your way out of this problem. There's not enough talent to go around. And um, someone told me uh, something that really stuck with me the other day. He said, uh, never leave anyone behind. Everyone mm -hmm. needs to come with you on this journey. So, again, it's all about finding that space, the, mm -hmm. the safe space to experiment, to try and fail, to try and fail, to have the time to uh, learn something new, to apply it on the shop floor in a, in a hands-on way, get the feedback. And, and again, enabling all these teams to uh, to solve for problems differently. Hey, Magnus, uh, you and I grew up in the same country um, of Sweden. And I remember, you know, when we were studying or when I was studying, and I'm, I'm interested in, in your perspective here as well. You know, at that time, newly minted engineers, they had, you know, Ericsson as their number one place to uh, where they wanted to go and work after after finishing university. And, you know, if you look at and I've asked this question in, in, in Korea and Japan, and it's like, yeah, you know, the, the top the top, you know, 10 percent or the top percentages of, of, um, of schools, they, they want to work for Samsung or LG or in Japan, maybe Sony or, or others like well-known well-known brands and that used to be true for you know for a very long time until you know not that long ago when you know the opportunity for engineers to to start their own company and build uh you know build amazing apps that's going to take over the world and, and revolutionize how we do you know whatever um which makes it really hard to be 
you know, an old company, quote unquote, um, in, in a sense, because you're not at the top of the list maybe anymore. Is, is that something that you have experienced at all? Uh, just interested in your position there. Um, yes and no. Uh, for sure that there has been, if you will, uh, sexier industries, quote unquote, uh, that a lot of the, the talent has, has been drawn to in the last decade. But I'm also seeing a, a change in that. If you look at any, uh, any university now, Auburn included, but any university globally, uh, the people in engineering who, um, who come out have actually a lot of hands-on experience that they want to continue to apply hands-on. Every university will have maker labs and all kinds of ways to apply robotics, to apply sensors, to uh, sensor-driven automation, to uh, build machine learning models, to write all the code and solve that in the context of whatever course they're working on. So all these technologies are becoming tools in the toolbox or whatever uh, they're, they're teaching or learning at, uh, uh, in, a, in a particular semester. But it's all an environment that's, again, it's very, um, it's very sort of maker lavish, if you will. I think it's, it's the best word I can think of. And a lot of them want to continue doing that now, moving forward. And so I think industrials are well positioned to um, re-attract that talent, but it hinges upon the industrials getting serious about advanced manufacturing and applying all of these new revolutionizing technologies with intent and with a, uh, almost, I will say, with a passion within their businesses and their business plans. And that is still uh, lacking for many industrials. What do you mean by applying it with a passion? And is this something that, you know, applies to all of the employees or just the leadership team? No, it's uh, it starts at the top. Uh, as always, um, for example, what I often do coming back to, uh, teaching, learning and de delivering outcomes, I, I, I make sure that there's time and space for the teams, not just to go and solve for something with what they have, but taking the time to go and learn something new that they, um, could use to solve for the problem in a way where in small, small incremental steps, you start to apply these new technologies on the shop floor and you start to slowly learn uh, how to do so. But that is not just in IT. Uh, Michelle mentioned the, the, the fact that IT and OT, for the most part, still to this day, operates in two parallel universes. And IT has come to OT. Every revolutionizing technology that we talk about is really IT technologies wrapped around applying them in the world of OT. So they have to go and learn this stuff too. And when you do, you draw the convergence almost organically. It's not mm -hmm. focus on it, it just sort of happens. Same thing with uh, you know every function. I, I, I always say that the best maintenance technician is someone who can write their own predictive and prescriptive models for, um, for maintenance or that the best quality engineer can write and visualize their own statistical process rules and build their own algorithms to predict things without having to make a phone call to a data scientist or to IT, for example. So this really uh, needs to permeate everywhere. I, I will go as far as saying that being hands-on with technology and wrangling data and all those things is a necessary career skill for everybody not just IT or OT. So do you do like cross training? How do you teach them that? 
to me, the, there's lots of ways, but where I see the biggest success is really living this idea of mission-based teams, where you come together as a team, you focus on the outcome, uh, and and uh, you know in a very sort of focused uh, in a very focused way, and everybody works shoulder to shoulder, teaching each other, learning from each other. For worrying less about swim lanes, but how can I contribute to the outcome and how can I learn what I need to do to, to make that contribution? When you do that, uh, you build an incredible team spirit. The organizational boundaries and hierarchies go away. It's all about how to solve the problem. How can we learn what we need to do to solve the problem? So that, that to me is, um, is really, really important. That to me sounds like a very, you know, forward looking perspective on that. And I think that's a unique mindset. And I'm just curious, like, how did you learn that? And, you know, what makes you want to take that approach? I'd say a little bit of trial and error. Um, I would say that many, many years ago, I, uh, I, I will even say I felt a little lonely. You know, you walk around with all this knowledge about what's happening in the world of IT and with all this knowledge about what's going on in the shop floor where you can start to put the two pieces together and you can start to quote unquote, see things. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you can start seeing things, but when you're the only one who see it and the rest of the organization just moves along in their own, it, at their daily pace, uh, it gets kind of lonely, <laughs> if you will. So that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> how do I, how do I bring all this together and make sure that the whole organization, um, gets game on, uh, on driving us forward. And uh, this was really the only way uh, that I could think of. And it's successful. So we're just going to do more of it. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like the right way to do it. Um, and Michelle, you know, just curious too, from your perspective, do you have any examples or ideas on, you know, solutions today that help solve this problem or what are your thoughts on it? Well, you know, the, it's, it's interesting in the, when you look at the, this from a global perspective, um, you know, organizations take, take different approaches to, um, you know, to the hand that they're, that they're played. Um, for example, uh, you know, being in this situation in Japan, um, where, you know, a, a talent gap or just, a you know, a shortage of labor period, um, has, has been around for, you know, for a very long time. Uh, you can see how innovative they become and how, how they are pushing the envelope, I would say way ahead of the rest of the world when it comes to, to applying, you know, these new technologies, so, so things like robotic process art automation or RPA uh, is very prevalent there. Um, most companies apply it, uh, and I've observed, you know, whenever AWS launches some new machine learning capability, whether it's you know forecasting or um, or uh, computer vision or or anything like that, that they are uh, almost every time they're the they're they're first from a from a, just a pure geography perspective, um, the first ones to uh, to tinker with it. And when I do my you know my travels back in the day, <laughs> um, and and visit these companies there and ask you know wh- why are you so so early with this technology? And it's the answer is well we don't have a choice. I don't. Mm-hmm. 
don't mm-hmm. I don't have people that can that can do this. Um, to them, the, the, this talent gap is is uh, absolutely a you know a reality of um, uh, that they live and breathe every every single day. So, uh, creating that you know process automation uh, and and um, automating it as much as they can is is kind of um, um, you know that's 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 a daily chore uh, for them now. The people they do have that do have, you know, skills in whether it's in, you know, maintenance or quality or whatever it is, um, what they do, though, is is oftentimes look at those, look at that town, look at those people uh, to improve the the math, to improve the algorithms. Uh, because I think we, we talked about this in the last episode, you know, machine learning or, or AI is not a hundred percent science, right? It's, it's not hundred percent right every single time. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's below that and sometimes way below that. So, how do I how do I take a maintenance ticket um, that is you know eighty two percent certain that you need to go and change a, a pump within three weeks or something bad is going to happen? How do I take that or how does an experienced maintenance engineer look at that and say, yeah, that's not really the pump. It's actually something you know upstream or downstream of of of, of that, and that's why it's throwing this um, this maintenance t- maintenance ticket. Uh, by automation, so contradict that, uh, retrain the model, and distribute it again uh, to wherever you can find you know this this pump or similar pumps um, you know across uh, across a facility. So that kind of closed loop, that kind of capturing of talent into machine learning, um, is something that I'm observing you know specifically in in Japan, where others may be you know. Um, uh, still thinking about it, or, or or maybe starting to tinker with it, um, they have already you know kind of been forced to to come up with solutions uh, for you know for this particular problem. How is that received um, by those workers? Are they you know excited to help capture that talent, or are they um, you know more hesitant and resistant? You know, have you seen how they take it? Yeah, I haven't seen any resistance. I mean, this is also about proving, you know, to themselves and proving to others that, you know, um, it is not a perfect science and you, and you need me <laughs> to, uh, to, to perfect it. Um, and it, it almost becomes as a, as a challenge, it seems, uh, uh, to these very experienced, uh, people to help the company along and, um, and, uh, and share what they share, share what they know to improve it for, for everyone, uh, so that we can rely on, on, on these models more and more and more and more. Um, so yes, there are self-learning models, of course, um, that applies here, uh, but there's nothing that can substitute, you know, a maintenance technician or leader that has been working 30 years in the same plant knows mm-hmm. exactly the vibrations, the sounds, the, um, you know, um, they walk into this environment every every single day and they know um, way better, you know, better than most, including sometimes machine learning models. Um, but they also understand that there's an opportunity to uh, to improve it. Um, and improve it over time. So there's nothing like that experience. Hold on. You just said would they walk into the plant and then we'll know what's going on better than machine learning models. <laughs> Can you talk about that a little bit? That kind of caught my attention. 
Well, I mean, it's it's uh, when you walk into a plan with 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 you know years of experience, um, you can see these folks, you know, just stand and listen um, at the humming or the you know the noises that they that they hear. Um, they will know, you know, typically ahead of time before you know something is, is about to happen. Um, wow. By just by the virtue of them being there for you know for a very long uh, for a very long time, um, and also like I said, identify you know if a quality um, computer vision um, monitoring solution or if it's maintenance uh, or 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 many other areas they can. Um, they can discern whether to hmm, should I should I question this um, uh, this machine learning model output or shouldn't I? I mean, that's really if you think about that. You know, I made the example of a pump um, that may be a, a piece of cheap equipment. Uh, let's say that it's something way more expensive. Let's say it's you know five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars for for a new part of of, of some sort. Well, you know, a newbie engineer or a newbie maintenance tech, <clears throat> pardon me, might uh, might happily, you know, hey, I get a maintenance ticket. It's cut by a machine learning model. It's ninety two percent certain that this is a problem that will happen in the in the near future. They'll happily go out and change that, uh, you know, five or ten thousand dollar piece of equipment and not fix the problem potentially. Mm-hmm. All right. So there's a uh, you know there's there's a there's a time constraint here before some of these very experienced folks before they retire uh, to help improve that dynamic or help improve these these model by by applying um, what they've heard what they know what they feel um, as they walk through these plant floors and and building that into the model so it becomes a you know not just self learning but uh, but learning by you know input from from experience um, that will mm-hmm. just improve uh, the certainty uh, so that mm-hmm. newly minted folks come in um, and can um, you know uh, can change this this uh, this piece of equipment with a higher degree of, of confidence in in doing it definitely it sounds like valuing their experience is a big takeaway from that and also just empowering your employees in general and Magnus I'm wondering too, what should you not do? You know, um, we've talked a lot about solutions to this. Do you see any, I don't know how to describe this, maybe like black hole ideas or areas where you can approach this problem that is not the right approach that you've learned from? Well, there's a, a very uh, dangerous uh, sentence in business, uh, which is we've always done it this way. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, uh, I think that's 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 a really really big one of forcing an organization to think differently about how do you need to operate not just today but also tomorrow and what does that mean and how can technology not just accelerate that but also make you think about or, or make you design new ways of operating that otherwise wouldn't be possible. Uh, Michelle, you mentioned uh, this this uh, maintenance technician, and I see this all the time of say, uh, you know, robotic processes where we spray plasma at three thousand degrees uh, in a, in a coating cell, and there's a certain color to the flame, there's a certain little acoustic noise, there's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and the guy goes, "Yeah, it's about to break. How do you replicate that?" Uh, because they will retire, and mm-hmm. really. Um, 
I think that if, so if I were to sort of synthesize it, it comes down to looking at your data as a strategic asset for your enterprise, curating it and learning how to do diff, you know, things with it that you aren't doing today. If you don't do that, um, then you're going to have a really hard time moving the needle um, on, on your smart manufacturing journey and, and closing the talent gap. Mm-hmm. And who who do you involve in this process for discussing this from leadership? You know, you um, shared your data centric approach to this, but, you know, I'm sure there's other stakeholders in the organization like in finance or the CEO in general. You know, how do you have this discussion with them um, and bring data into that conversation? You know, um, I. uh I was asked recently to do more teaching, if you will, again, teaching learning outcomes and, and do more teaching on exactly this topic uh, recently. And so I asked one of my uh, stakeholders, I asked, why do we not spend any time on using our data? Hmm. And he gave me uh, a list of seven items that to me was uh, uh, very um revealing and, and gave me this aha moment. He said, we do not understand how valuable our data is. We think it's too complex to utilize. It takes too much time to develop a project. It's not a priority. It has not helped me achieve my metrics. And I do not like data. It makes me want to cry. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So that is where you start. That's where you have to start. When, when, When your stakeholders are there, that's where you have to meet them. And then we say, okay. What can we do to address each of these seven bullets one by one, step by step, be it uh, data quality and processes internally to improve data quality, be it to link something more concretely to a direct metric that we're pacing on a quarterly or monthly uh, monthly basis? Uh, How can we bring how can we show your hands on that building machine learning model? uh, Actually, if you had good data. It's 10 lines of code and five minutes of effort once you've done it a few times. It's really not hard anymore once you learn, learn it. So it's, it's really about engaging your stakeholders in that way and finding ways to apply. Make sure that these technologies don't become you know, hammers looking for nails, but rather uh, ways in which you can tackle those outcomes and, and, and demonstrate, lead by example, show by doing how you can address some of these concerns that, that I heard uh, through, uh, uh, through, again, through hands-on experiences, where you bring them with you. It's not, mm-hmm. uh, I heard you, uh, let me go develop a project and let me show you something cool uh, a month later. No, we're going to do this together. So we all learn. And, and that's, uh, that's absolutely uh, imperative to bring that cross-functional stakeholder engagement across the whole organization. That makes a lot of sense, especially if you're starting at the point where data makes you want to cry. (laughs) That makes sense. And has that worked? Um, Has that helped kind of uh, help them gain confidence in what they can do with their data? Yes, uh, I think so. Absolutely. Uh, As we embed uh, even simple things, I call them simple, like statistical process control understanding how your uh, your dimensional inspections are drifting or not drifting. Uh, is there a potential problem? Uh, what is the root cause of all these auto-tolerance uh, events that are taking place? 
acquiring all that data, visualizing all that data, driving a dialogue with your stakeholders on root cause, uh, all of a sudden people start to realize, oh my gosh, this is, this is helping me. This is helping mm-hmm. me run a better business. And I think there's another, um, I think there's another uh, really encourage or how would I put it? It's, it's an exciting time to be alive is maybe the best way to put it. I remember when I, uh, went to school uh, and I, we wrangled data, uh, be it in physics or in computer science, what have you. It was really hard. Mm-hmm. Today, with these uh, modern technologies, uh, I, I, in fact, just the other day, I, uh, I, I'm participating in a lean action workout where we're changing the way we do dimensional inspection. And we have to do uh, linear regression on a series of data points in the 3D point cloud. 30 years ago, that would have taken a massive spreadsheet. Well, spreadsheet, I guess they existed back then, but it would have taken a massive effort just to go build one. Now you can go build one in 10 minutes. So you can actually apply these technologies in ways that are much, much quicker now uh, mm-hmm. to accelerate those outcomes. And it's again, it's, it's the key here is to take those needs and those pain points, quickly figure out which tool and toolbox you're going to apply and show that it's actually easier now than it was five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it sounds like that's a huge difference um, even five years ago. So what do you think that this will look like in five to 10 years from now? How do you expect this to affect the future of talent? I, uh, I want to come back to uh, what I learned uh, in, in another conversation of leaving no one behind. I, I, I really feel that there's going to be those who are able to keep up, are able to engage in continuous, continuous learning and, and constantly uh, upskill themselves in terms of how to, again, apply this, this incredible uh, pace of change in, in technology evolution that's coming to, at you every day. And then there are those who don't. And if you don't, I, I, I feel like you're going to have a less rewarding and satisfying career. Hmm. Uh, and that, I think, puts a huge burden uh, and responsibility, really, uh, and on us as leaders to make sure no one gets left behind. And do you set the tone for that in your culture? I, I try. I try uh, best I can. You always feel like you're not doing enough uh, uh, in this space. One of the things I am doing uh, is that in some organizations, there there is... Uh, this sort of thinking of bimodal IT. Mm-hmm. You know, legacy teams that own the mainframes and keep the lights on and and uh, and do small continuous improvements. There's the, then there's the quote unquote innovation teams that go and build the new. And I think uh, that that is something you should not do if you want to make sure no one get left gets left behind. You have to eat your own dog food and drink your own champagne, as I think <laughs> of it. In that you have to own a legacy. You understand it, and then you also you know it really well, uh, and then you have to have the same accountability to dig your way out of the legacy. So that I think is is a key uh, element in making sure that you broadly apply those principles. Great, and those are some really unique principles, and I really appreciate you sharing those with us. And you know, as we wrap up our conversation here today, I want to give you both the opportunity to kind of summarize and give us some insights into maybe two or three 
top recommendations you have as a takeaway from this conversation. Um, so Michelle, I want to start with you. Is there, you know, what are the biggest takeaways from this and how do you see the cloud playing a role in this conversation? Well, I think some of the, some of the takeaways um, that we talked about is, you know, uh, some, some companies, some geographies are, are ahead of others for, for kind of natural reasons. Um, understanding, you know, learning what they've been through uh, due to the, you know, lack of resources, lack of talent um, uh, is probably a, a good thing. Um Automation is going to be playing a much larger part. Um, process automation is going to play a, a much larger part than we than we think about it today. Um, you know, I see companies that do this well. You know, taking 30, 40, you know, almost you know fifty percent, depending on which part of manufacturing they're in. Uh, cost out of of supply chains and and cost out of manufacturing. Um, those numbers sounds crazy high, uh, but they're absolutely you know possible um, by automating um, you know a lot of these. If if you say you know things like workforce planning or inventory optimization and placement, if you think about uh, sourcing, uh, production planning. Uh, logistics, etc., uh, etc. Et Those are all, you know, very ripe for uh, for automation. And these are areas where, you know, if you just start with forecasting, um, I would say most companies, if not if not all, um, struggle with that. Certainly in COVID times, but also in, in normal times. Um, are we? Are we? Can we look around the future? You know, uh, or look into the future? Um, accurately, maybe six times out of 10, yes, uh, which means we sit with excess inventory, whether it's finished goods or, or you know, things in our plant, work in progress or, or inbound. So, um, there's an opportunity there, um, but that also means when you automate, um, you know, people will be um, needing to do, you know, other types of other types of jobs. Um, so the the reskilling of the talent we have, the reskilling um, uh, of that is going to be uh, is going to be critical. Um, and just recently at uh, at reInvent, uh, AWS announced that that we will that we will train you know twenty nine million million people around the world uh, by twenty twenty five, uh, reskilling you know that type of of, of staff uh, to do other things. Now, what are other things? Well, to you know, to a degree, it's it's learning these new technologies, participate in it. Um, uh, be part of that. Uh, be part of these solutions. Experimenting, innovating across the board. To Magnus's point, um, innovating everywhere. Whether it, whether it's the customer relationship or how we look at inventory optimization, uh, refining machine learning models, um, and and so on and so forth. And lastly, I would say. You know, sometimes we can look at these. Not that machine learning is is new. It's been around for a long time, but. But I think our role is to make that easier to to consume. So, what is now maybe you know, oh, I have to call uh, um, a data scientist, um, or I have to roll up sleeves myself and and try to figure this out. 
you know, I think we're we're at the cusp of, uh, and certainly some of the solutions that we announced at reInvent, um, you know, show that we're, we're moving up the value chain. So, what can I do to apply these technologies without being a data scientist, if you will? Um, that requires something else. That requires, you know, the application of them in the context of my of my function, my role. How can I help improve the company's operation? And, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that perspective. I think you brought a lot of value talking about the technology and also how to actually implement it within your organization. So thank you so much for joining us and talking about this today, Michelle. And Magnus, um, I want to also hear from you. You know, what, what should we take away from this conversation? And are there two or three points that you want our listeners to really um, think about? Yeah, I want to come back to to where we started, where I think of the talent gap and the rescaling and upscaling as the one binary success factor for unlocking all the value that all this technology now has to offer. So it's not an option not to address the talent gap. And so the number one thing uh, that um, I would like for everyone to take away is that you have to force this rescaling. As a leader, mm-hmm. you have to force it. Uh, the principles we talked about, insist on being hands-on, spend a lot of time on the shop floor, uh, insist on teaching, learning, and driving, uh, teaching, learning while you drive outcomes. Uh, do not solve this problem the way you used to solve it. Learn something new and solve for the problem differently. If you don't insist on that as a leader, you will never address the talent gap. So I think that's number one. And one more thing that I also think is important is is to also demystify um, some of these uh, technologies. Back to the quote of data makes me want to cry or or writing an algorithm makes my head hurt, uh, what have you. Uh, Once you demystify these things, it turns out that they're not so intimidating. It's actually not all that hard. Uh, Back to linear regression. Uh, I mean, that's a very commonly applied machine learning model around the world today. And anybody who took calculus or physics in high school actually did linear regression. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, or RPA, and Michelle talked about RPA. Uh, it's amazing the jungle of Excel spreadsheets with 10,000 lines of Visual Basic code behind them. They're everywhere. And once you show someone how to do it much quicker and simpler using an RPA platform, you visually code your logic and you deploy a bot, all of a sudden, it's not just demystified, but a help, but it also helps that person in their day to do their jobs easier. So those are two things where I think if you focus on those, you will you will make you'll move the needle on on the talent gap for sure. Thank you so much for sharing that, and thanks for bringing your leadership perspective to the show today. Really appreciate you know our conversation and everything we talked about. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Industrial Insights. If you enjoyed today's show, check out the show notes for a featured resource on this topic. And if you have a question, send it to our team of experts at industrialpodcast at amazon.com.